0: my name is crispina french and promoting creative textile reuse is my jam i'm an og textile alchemist worked my way through art school making ragamuffins from thrift store sweaters way back in the 1980s that college side hustle grew into a full-fledged business and here i am today to show you how to do it too stick around for all the things helping to navigate both the chaotic and dreamy chapters of building your profitable textile upcycling business. We'll talk material sourcing, business savvy, product development, marketing, and self-care. Gloss over the hard parts? Not here. Experience, lessons, and know-how. Deep dive into the struggles, wins, and rewards of running your sustainable textile upcycling business. Think of this as your favorite craft class mixed with environmental business school. Are you ready to be inspired, energized, and supported? This is the Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast. Today's episode of Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast is brought to you by Sideshow Clothing on Etsy and in person in Craryville, New York. Are you a burgeoning fashion icon who delights in your individual style? Maybe you have a penchant for really good clothing, a love of creative presentation, and respect for our life-giving planet. Or, if you are like me, you like to wear well-made clothing to handle your daily grind and stand up to the test of time. Sideshow clothing has what you need. Vintage workwear, boots galore, jackets, dresses, ethnic and western wear, the works. Mary curates this creamy collection of inventory, some dating back over a hundred years, but mostly fashions from the 1970s through the 1990s. If you want to honor the quality of well-made clothing and stand out in the crowd, check out sideshowclothing.com where you will find an anecdote to fast fashion and so much more. Hey, hello friend. Welcome to episode number seven of the Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast with me, Crispina French, your host. I'm an OG textile alchemist, entrepreneur, business coach, and podcast host. Today's guest is someone I met online through a mutual friend. She is an accomplished maker, stitcher, teacher, and author. Christy Johnson's embroidery is best known for rich symbolism and embellishment, breathing freshness into vintage treasures that she enriches with her art. Christy is a wealth of generosity, sharing her knowledge, experience, and skill. Her beautiful book called Mystical Stitches is a valuable teaching book and an album of eye candy rolled into one. So without further ado, let's go get with Christy. Christy Johnson, I'm so excited to introduce you to the audience here at Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast. Thank you so much for being
1: here with me. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Yeah, I have to tell you, it's so funny. Um, Christy has totally changed my life in so many ways, and I'm not even kidding. (laughs) What is that? She turned me on to this super cool little camera that um, enables me to teach online um, in a much more easy way. And... She's also introduced me to this new platform that I'm using to record our conversation called Zencaster, which (laughs) I like the Zen part of. And (laughs) we were using a different platform before that was um, just not at all Zen. So... (laughs) Thanks so much, Christy. It's such a pleasure.
1: Yes, absolutely. I love sharing any sort of tech discoveries because it's just we could just waste so much time just trying to research everything and figure it out. It's like I just want to get to the work. <laughs> right. The fun part, right? Yes. That's so true. Oh my goodness.
0: So, you know, I first ran across you um with your gorgeous book, which I have to say is one of my favorite, just inspirational embroidery books. Um and Once I kind of started digging into that, I was realizing that your path has been a very um, kind of diverse and cool um, combination of textile upcycling and symbolism and spirituality. And I'd love to just have you share a little bit about how you got here from there.
1: Right. I mean, um, I've been you know, working with textiles my whole life. Um, But really for me, the movement um, into working with um, spirituality first came through uh, living in Los Angeles and just working at um, a really corporate job. Um, It was, you know, it was, good at the time. (laughs) I loved, um, you know, what it provided for me, but it was really draining as well, sort of spiritually. Um, And so I started getting more into meditation and um, just trying to kind of get off of the computer and get out of that, um, get out of that sort of production space and get into a little bit more of a calm area uh, mentally. Um, And then um, as far as researching, delving a little bit deeper into things like symbolism and mythology and sort of like image-based concepts, um, that actually came from after living in LA, moving to New York city and then moving, um, to upstate New York or upstate ish, it's not totally upstate. (laughs) It's kind of like side (laughs) side state New York. Um, and then experiencing these sort of like really quiet, um, dark winters and realizing that that is probably where a lot of the mythology and this sort of like, um, this like underground mythology comes from is those dark times of the year and having grown up in Florida and living in LA that had not been part of my experience necessarily. Um, and I think having that background in meditation and having something to ground into, to experience that instead of it just feeling like this sort of chaos, um, there was something more to discover within that. Um,
0: so yeah. That is so beautiful. I love that that it's it's interesting because you know i i grew i you know i'm in massachusetts so our our right. climates and our seasons are quite similar and yeah. um you know it's kind of funny how a lot of people who have had this um this cycle of the the you know winter months being long and dark see it as something that's um difficult and hard mm-hmm. and to to have this insight into having that just um, inspire, you know, symbolism and mythology and spirituality in a way that the the kind of brightness of summer and the kind of, um, you know, the lush falls and the, sp- you know, sparkling springs, it, it kind of, that makes it seem so uh, lovely in a way that I hadn't considered before. And I, 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 I actually love winter and mm-hmm. now I'm going to love it even more.
1: Oh, nice. Yeah. And I think it was especially like having that, you know, being of so many climates where it just like, it never gets quiet. It never gets dark. <laughs> it's just this, yeah. like, it's almost overwhelming. Um, yeah. you know, and I, I think having that space, like anytime it would rain or be gloomy in LA, it was just like, Oh, it was almost a relief.
0: <laughs> yeah. To have that quiet space. Right. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. And it's funny, like, I think about that a lot in the, um, summertime, Even just in recording my podcast, like a lot of times there's like insect noise outdoors in the evenings or, you know, crickets or frogs or in, in the winter time, it's quiet. It's just quiet. And there's just so much peace and that level of just, uh, like you can just get really uh, introspective and kind of go places that might not be so attainable during the busier and noisier parts of the year.
1: Yeah, sometimes in the summertime, I am like, Oh, my God, the crickets are so loud. (laughs)
0: Yeah. if that's the worst of our problems right like- I, I know i'm like it's
1: really beautiful <laughs> yeah. i can embrace that but when i'm trying to go to sleep i'm like oh my god be quiet could you guys turn down please all <laughs> yeah, right exactly exactly
0: hey well um i'd love to uh, share with our audience a little bit more about like your work and how you create the pieces that you work on and just your whole like your online presence or your your mixed color dot um, net website is just such a lovely kind of collage of all the places that you work and what you do in the world. Let's, let's share a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, my work at this point is, um, you know, very broad umbrella, I guess would be the best way to say. Um, but I, you know, I make, um, different items. I work with, um, vintage clothing and upcycled fabrics to make new clothes. Um, I also make some tapestries, some embroideries, um, and then on top of the actual making of it, um, the other part is the teaching end of it. And so I like to, um, I, I like that kind of balance of constantly being inspired by having, um, you know, by being able to explain my process and educate other people on how they can do their process. Um, and that kind of sparks anytime I find a kind of a quietness in my own work, um, I can step into the, a little bit stronger into that teaching role and have that sort of balance there. Um, and with the teaching, I, I teach, um, embroidery workshops and I also do, um, a sort of intuitive garment design is what i call it where it's like garment design that is not based on traditional pattern making it's based on what i have developed um by studying like even deeper traditional pattern making, like from ancient times and looking at how clothes were cut and constructed, um, in a way that is zero waste and in a way that doesn't, um, that doesn't require really complicated curves and seams because like, as I'm making clothes at home, as much as it's nice to, you know, work with this perfect pattern and get these really, um, fitted items, um, fitted clothes don't fit everybody. (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just being able to be a little bit more free fitting in form, I'm able to not only accommodate um, a lot more different figures and sizes, but I'm also able to, um, have a much easier time sewing it. And it, it, the clothes turn out much more neatly sewn because there's not all these weird curves and ripples. Mm-hmm. And you're teaching people to
0: empower themselves to build their wardrobes. Am I right?
1: Yes, definitely. And also I think when you're, when we try and learn sewing from the perspective of like, okay, use this pattern and sew this set in sleeve, it can be really frustrating. And I'm a person who's been sewing my entire life and I am frustrated by a set in sleeve. So I'm just like, just forget about it. Don't even bother. (laughs) Just try this whole different technique. Like it'll, you know, it, because when you are able to do something sort of in the early stages of learning something that is so much more empowering and is so much, you know, when you don't have that frustration, I mean, there are always going to be frustrations. In the learning process. Um, but when you feel like you're capable <laughs> early on, it can really encourage that growth and that um, sort of expansion of your own personal studies. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, you know, in this, in this time in our in, you know, in the kind of human history, how there's so like we're we're learning the acceptance of body type, of style, of gender. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's so refreshing to have people in the world like yourself who are just really um, building that acceptance into what they offer. Um, I think that's a really beautiful piece of what you
1: are doing. Thank you. Yeah. I think that's really important too, for me is like making sure that nobody feels excluded in this and that it's like, you know, we're closer for all of us and we're not meant to feel like we're supposed to fit into something. Like we should be building the clothes to fit us, not like trying to sculpt ourselves to fit into the clothes or, you know, fit into some, Amen, some idea. Amen, sister. Oh my goodness. Amen. Am I, oh my goodness. You know,
0: I, I read a statistic the other day that was like, I think it's like 53% of the women in the United States wear a size 12 and up. Mm -hmm. And there are like 75% of the clothing brands that are, you know, in our culture, create clothing for the 47% of people who wear a size 12 and down. Right.
1: and it's I mean, so just, arbitrary. The actual numbers of sizing are so arbitrary. And we've gone so far with these sort of like inconsistent sizings that it's like, well, you know, we're, there's no going back at this point. I'm just like, just, you know, sc- just scrap it and start over. <laughs> there's <laughs> no standard. There is yeah. no standard, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and then the other the so you're, you're you're not only are you empowering people to create clothing that is for them that brings them joy in in the wearing process, but you're also creating a skill set that allows people to take that and and build it into their their creative process and their lives in a way that is just going to nurture and feed them goodness rather than shame for feeling like, you know, they're not the right body type or size. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Super, super cool. Um, The other thing I really love about your work is that there's this kind of like uh, imagery that is, um, you know, specific to the person making it or the person, you know, you use a, a lovely kind of combination of kind of whimsical and spiritual and, you know, meaningful symbolism that is kind of you know, collaged into, uh, garments that are just, I I mean, just looking on your website and seeing the, um, you know, I'm imagining that some of the pieces that you're working on are vintage. And then are some of those also constructed new pieces? How does that work?
1: Yeah. I usually will work with like Different uh, leftover pieces of fabric or a lot of the fabric I have is like, I'll sometimes purchase new fabric because I want to naturally dye it. And I know if it's um, new or dead stock, you know, if it's like factory dead stock, I know it hasn't been um, stained in any way before. And that's what's going to work best for naturally dyed fabrics. So I'll get, um, I mean, it's like technically new to me, but yeah, like I'm getting fabric from places like Swanson's or um, Fab Scrap, um, getting their dead stock fabrics and then naturally dyeing it. And because when I work with natural dyes, it's very experimental. So I'm not usually, I'm not usually working with it in a way that I'm like, okay, I'm going to make this shirt. It's just like, I want to see what this flower does when I mm-hmm. die with it. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So I'll just take, you know, a half yard or a yard of fabric and dye it with that one plant. Um, and then it just kind of usually goes on my shelf until I go, oh, you know, I want to make a shirt. <laughs> and so that's mm-hmm. where a lot of the shirts in there are from, um, from that um, process of just playing around with plants, really.
0: That is so cool. So that, you know, textile upcycling, so you're taking dead stock, which for anybody who's not aware, there material that is on a bowl and never been used, but maybe was created for, uh, you know, production of garments, usually, or whatever fabric is created for. Um, and then you are salvaging that that is actually a waste product, because it wasn't used by the, the company that ordered it initially. So you're taking that kind of pre-consumer waste, and then you're manipulating it not only with your beautiful embroideries, but you're also um, naturally dyeing it. That's just so, like, what a cool thing to incorporate into the whole process. Um, Are you, do you have, like, a garden with lots of dyeable plant matter, or how does, how do you, how do you do that?
1: Yeah, I have been um, growing, like, experimenting with different um, uh, traditional dye plants just to see, sort of. Um, you know, what the growing process is for them and seeing like, Oh, let me see what this looks like. You know, if I die with this plant fresh versus if I die with this plant um, dried and being able to play with um, dying with it from different times of the year. So for example, like if I'm dying with mugwort, which is not, I don't actually grow that plant it just grows here. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I couldn't get rid of it if I tried. <laughs> <laughs> so dying with mugwort in the spring is going to give me a color that is much, much greener, at least in my experience. Whereas if I'm dying within the fall, I get more of a brown color. Um, and then, you know, tra- playing around with other plants like growing um, marigolds and black eyed Susan, um, cosmos flowers, so all these different flowers. I'm also growing matter root, um, which is a, a bright red natural dye when you dig up the roots. i um, just playing around with like, how do these plants, ex- you know, how do these plants grow? I don't know. I don't know why I, need, I always need to like go to the source of something when I'm creating something. I'm like, how- but how is the material made? You know, <laughs> like... Uh, yeah. Except for weaving. That's one area I haven't touched. But everything else, I'm like, but how it but how are the dyes made? Where do they come from? Um so for example, black-eyed Susan is a plant where if you dye with the flowers, um the rudbeckia plant, um, if you dye with the flowers when they're fresh, you don't really get all of the color. But when you dye with the flowers when they are dried, um, the cell walls of the plant break down and you're able to get these really uh, beautiful green shades, which are a combination of the leaf. I mean, I'm sorry, a combination of the petal and the center of the flower because the petals are yellow and the center's blue. So it kind of combines to this green shade. But yeah, Ooh. so just seeing how many different colors to get from one plant and what, you know, what makes a difference in the dyes and how. Uh Uh-huh. Wow. That's really cool. And then,
0: so you're, um, and do you ever, so you dye the dead stock, but you're not dyeing the vintage garments that you used mainly because you're not sure how they were treated prior is that
1: right yeah with vintage garments i i generally if i dye it with natural dyes i'm going to do like a really like marble looking like kind of all over tie dye um and the Mm -hmm. reason for that is if there are any sort of stains on a vintage garment um they the stained areas will essentially act as like dye attractors. Um, so if there's different um, depending on if it's like a plant stain or a protein stain or anything like sweat is going to bind to the dye a little bit more. Um, uh-huh. So even if you've washed the garment and you have bleached it out, like there's still some residual sort of um you know, experience that, that (laughs) garment has. Um, and so when you over dye it, I found that it it brings out the color. So anywhere there's a stain, that stain is all of a sudden way darker than the rest of the fabric. So I, I kind of avoid dyeing natural or dyeing, um, vintage garments just because of that.
0: Yeah. You know, I had a really funny experience years ago. I made a collection with, um, men's dress shirts Mm. and I bought, um, you know, a bale, I actually it was a few bales of white men's dress shirts. And it was kind of this hard thing to say. Cause I sounded a little racist when I said <laughs> that, but like their shirts are white, you know, the yeah. guys can be any color. Like, you know, the, and so, you know, here I am selling these things and I'm like, I, I had, uh, you know, them dyed in many different colors to, you know, it was a, it was a collection of women's clothing, dresses and little skirts. It was a really cute collection. And, um, my, I have a friend who has a commercial dye house and, I didn't know that where, you know, people put that stuff on the ring around the collar stuff, mm. you know, the chemical stayed in the shirt. So like, or some deodorant would react with a dye and it would be like bright purple mm-hmm. like, under the arms or, you know, around the necks. And it was, you know, it was just something that I had, I just didn't have any awareness of. So I totally know how that is. And I think that um, smart to use it in a way where you can kind of use the um, the marbling effect to kind of enhance the, uh, the finish that you're looking for while accommodating that, um, kind of, in, 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 you know, in, 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 I can speak sometimes <laughs> the intricacies of like, you know, the chemicals that are used or that, like, you know, if it's a stain or if there's like some kind of a, a stain removing uh, chemical that's in there, the fabric still, um, And yeah, the, the, um, the vintage clothing is probably uh, easiest to just use as is and finding pieces that are the way you like them before. So you don't have to dye them over, you know, over dye them.
1: Right. Totally. And a lot of, um, I love working with like vintage, uh, uh like kind of like suit jackets, um, mm-hmm. just because they're so well-made and it's like, you know, like feel like suits nowadays. It's, um, it's hard to find a really well-made suit, um, or just blazer, I guess I should say not a suit, but um, well, not a whole suit but yeah. So, and that's something where I'm like, I would, you know, I would be it would be a questionable decision to try and dye a suit jacket <laughs> just well, given yeah. all then- the internal structure on it so like stuff like that where I'm just like you know what I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what this is made of and I don't want to find out by <laughs> you know yeah, by right? running it through the dye process so and being <laughs> like oh this guy had a lot of stains on his jacket yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny
0: but the um, so you're when you're looking for your vintage pieces to embellish what they're just I amazing embroidery, you're probably just going, okay, nothing with stains. You know, you have a specific thing that you're looking for that works well with the with the additions that you're putting to it.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also like color that's, I'm, I'm so drawn to different colors. Like there's one, uh, one of my favorite jackets that I embroidered. I just put a few snakes on it, but it's just like jade green color. And so anything that's like marigold, yellow, jade, like clay, like, you know, I have these. I'm like very much drawn to specific colors. And then also making sure that if I'm going to embroider something that is a really high quality item. So making sure it's like linen, cotton, wool, or silk, um, any of those natural fibers um, so that it, it will really show off the stitches better. If I I work with, I found that when you embroider onto um, synthetic fabrics, polyester, things like that, um, it doesn't make the fabric look any better.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you know, the other thing I think about those natural fibers and the pieces that you choose is that they're, they're, they're kind of um, statement pieces. They're going to last a long time. You're spending um, your energy making them so beautiful and you know, they're, 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 the quality of the embellishment matches the quality of the piece itself. So, you know, you'll buy something that, you know, might be um, a few hundred dollars and it'll last you for years. And you'll yeah. always remember the story of how that came into your life when you're wearing it and um, just relishing all that quality and and care. Definitely. Yeah.
1: I think that's really important. Yeah. Having those quality pieces.
0: Yeah. And, you know, so, and the other thing I think about a lot just with the vintage um, clothing trade, like, you know, in the, in the years that I've been working with it, it's, I've noticed a real shift toward the lesser quality, you know, the fast fashion pieces that right. we all hear about and to, you know, to find and to kind of harvest the value that is intrinsic in those older and the natural fiber pieces is just it's so nice to have the ability to find those pieces and then to just honor them with that um, second life.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, sometimes it's like if something has does have some sort of wound on it of some sort, whether that's, you know, a little tear or um, part of it's kind of coming apart, that's embroidery becomes the perfect tool for mending it in a way that's really exciting and kind of really does bring bring a second life to it.
0: Today's episode of Rags to Riches podcast is brought to you by the Stitcher Hood Recycling Society, my online membership community for creative textile upcycling, recycling, and reuse entrepreneurs. Inspiration, shared experience, tutorials, business savvy, and connection to a whole posse of people who understand the passion and intricacies of running an environmentally kind creative textile upcycling biz. Daily posts, Weekly stitch hours, book recommendations, group chats, member profiles, and strong connections is what you can expect when you join Stitcherhood. Head on over to stitcherhood.crispina.eco and sign up for a free seven-day trial to see if my Stitcherhood Recycling Society is a good fit for you and your textile upcycling business so hey Chrissy i would love for you to share a little bit about how you got started and you know what that you know did you go to school how did you get involved in your business
1: yeah i um i did i studied fashion design um, in college and um i you know did the did the thing where i studied the fashion design and i went right into the fashion fashion industry um i realized pretty quickly Quickly on in the fashion industry, that I was like, "Oh, this isn't really what I want to do," <laughs> but I couldn't mm-hmm. figure out how to make a job out of what I did want to do. I just wanted to make stuff. Um, and the thing about fashion is, you're not actually making anything; you are, for the most part, telling other people how to make things. And it's it's very much a, a it's a manufacturing industry. It's not um, it is creative, definitely, but that is not the soul of the work that you do. The creative work is probably twenty percent of the work that we're we're doing in the fashion industry. Mm-hmm. Um, well I, you know, started doing that and was like, okay, I can't figure out how to get out of this, um, without, you know, and still have a job and still be employed, <laughs> still make money somehow. Um, so I, um, eventually was like, okay, you know, I want to start, maybe start my own fashion company where I am actually making the pieces. Um, so I started making my own clothes. Um, I had, a, you know, was able to, uh, <laughs> I really conveniently, um, got laid off with a severance, uh, which is a really great way to start. Perfect, Yeah. A really great way to kind of figure out how to do things on your own. Um, really beautifully sort of serendipitous, um, journey that that happened on. But, um, so I started making my own clothes and then I realized that I had just turned myself into the manufacturer. Um, and through the process of making my own clothes, and this is when I had, um, when I had started this collection of clothing, I was also dyeing everything with natural dyes. Um, And um, with that, with the dyeing everything with natural dyes, it came a lot of education that I needed to provide the, um, the stores that I was selling to, I wanted to make sure that they knew that, you know, Hey, if you have these pieces in the window, um, they're not, you know, they're, it's not going to fade immediately, but don't have it in the window for months at a time and make sure that your customer knows, um, to when they're not wearing this item to store it out of sunlight, um, and just different care, um, instructions that I had to really work with the stores on. And luckily these were, you know, sort of smaller boutiques who are really interested in learning how to, care for and conserve natural dyes. Um, But through that, a lot of the stores were like, oh, okay, well, while, you know, while I'm learning all of this about the natural dyes, can you come and teach (laughs) Um, How cool! dyes at the store? And so I was like, oh yeah, sure. You're like, you know, I I love, um, I had taught before then I had taught some, you know, little crochet classes here and there and things like that. Um, And so I was like, yeah, sure. I can totally teach. You know, I love sharing information and I love educating people on these new skills and really like giving people what I've learned myself through, through practice and through experience. Um, so that's kind of how I started teaching. And I, and then I realized I was like, Oh, I actually like teaching better. (laughs) I like making (laughs) things Mm -hmm. while I'm teaching. I'm still making, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I'm making. That's cool. And so when you were, so where did you go to fashion school? Oh, I went to um, Otis College of Art and Design in Los Angeles.
0: Oh, cool. Oh, cool. So then you just kind of stuck around that area, got into the industry out there. Mm -hmm. And then through that experience, you were like, okay, like, I think that I can make this suit me a little better and wound up kind of um, becoming your own boss through that, that process.
1: Yeah, definitely. And uh, cool. understanding understanding how the fashion industry worked and kind of, I was like, okay, what can I take of this that I actually like? And what can I leave behind that we don't necessarily need to, you know, that I don't necessarily need to work with? What seems extraneous to me? Mm-hmm. And what do I, what do I understand? Like I actually need, like we actually need stores. <laughs> I, mean, I felt like I really needed to work with those smaller boutiques and I enjoyed that relationships, but then like something like a showroom, for instance, that felt extraneous to me in my position.
0: Mm-hmm. And probably, yeah, I would imagine that your your production level would be, um, you know, nicely met with just the boutique stores, and not having to go into a, uh, a realm where, you know, you're you're kind of opening yourself to, you know, different types of purveyors who might not be so interested in in helping to promote those your process, your natural dyes, and your your mm-hmm. beautifully handmade things. That's so cool. And then you wound up. Um, learning through that process that you really love to teach. That's such a cool thing. Yeah. And it's so funny. Isn't it how funny how like, oh, you know, sometimes when you, we, things happen, like you get laid off or something that seems like this negative, right? It turns out to be like this giant blessing that you never could have like wished for. Oh, and it's totally. Just like, yeah. right? It like changes your trajectory in a way that was like, oh my gosh, this is so much better. That's so cool. That's awesome. So if people want to learn more about what you're doing and maybe take a class with you or, or purchase one of your embroidery kits or just maybe one of your beautiful, hand embroidered pieces how do how can people catch up with you
1: yeah you can check it out all out on my website uh, mixedcollar.net um and that is basically where I have everything all of my classes now at this point are online I do occasionally um teach live but because I am in kind of an isolated area um, I have to do a lot of traveling to teach so it's just nice for me to be able to offer that all online um and doing um different sorts of courses there and um Yeah, that's basically where it, and my Instagram is at Christy J, that's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-J-A-Y. And that is where you can keep up with basically all the projects that I'm doing and um, any new information or any new courses that I'm releasing.
0: Cool. That sounds awesome. And again, the the book is Mystical Stitches. It's a gorgeous piece of art in itself. And I just highly recommend that as well. And Christy, I just thank you so much for joining us today and for helping me figure out this recording platform and, you know, being able to teach with that camera that you turned me on to. Thank you. It's just um, such a pleasure to connect with you and to um, share your goodness with our audience. So um, I wish you the best. I hope that um, our future continues to put us in each other's paths
1: yes this has been so great thanks so much for inviting me onto your show Crispina. you're welcome talk to you soon mm-hmm. hey
0: so I'm over here and I'm serving you a giant air hug because you just finished another episode of the rags to riches textile upcycling podcast thank you for being with me our music is provided by the lucky five learn more about them at thelucky5.com. Our show is produced and edited by Vandal Hyacin. If you want to dive in deep, head over to rags 2 com.